Lead, lead, lead. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called Now, and an activity called Work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a very little kid, I wanted to be a farmer. And then I went through a phase of want, really wanting to be an astronaut. Mm. I was adamant that I was going to be the first person on Mars, mm. like adamant. And then when I had to actually start thinking about it, um, I wanted to be a doctor because that's what everyone at school wanted to do. Mm. Um, and then when I found out that wasn't going to happen, I wanted to be a like a, well, I, I studied zoology and I wanted to go into research. Okay. Um, in zoology. Yeah. Yeah. How, how far did you take it then? I got a research master's, mm. and then um, my life went a little bit wonky, and I ended up doing what I do today. You're listening to Series Three, Episode Fourteen, and to my guest Tom. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the twenty eighth of May, twenty twenty two. Hello, loves. Tom is a clinical trials data manager in a university clinical trials unit, the coordinator of TransLead and a celebrant. He spends his days looking at numbers and making sure the trials are running smoothly, his evenings running support groups and doing advocacy, and his weekends doing weddings, funerals, and coming of age ceremonies. You can find out more about TransLeads at transleads.org. Like, share, follow, and subscribe to this podcast. I'm doing all I can to bring this to you. So if you do like anything about it, please follow and promote the show on and off social wherever you can, whenever you remember. Please give money to this show and please give any feedback, questions, or comments that you may have. Email workinghourspod at western-studios.com or use one of my social channels to get in touch. Links for all of those will be at the end of this episode. Now, please enjoy this totally free and totally ad-free, as far as I know, episode of Working Hours with Tom from Transleads. What is it that you do now? Um, so my kind of main job is I'm a data manager in clinical trials at a university. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of little like side projects as well. I do um, celebrancy on the side. So like weddings and funerals and all different things with that. Um, and I also um, am the coordinator for Transleads, which isn't a paid job, but it is still a full-time job okay. <laughs> on top of the other stuff. But yeah, like I say, my, my, my main job is uh, being a data manager. Yeah. So how did you get into that? Well, when I fin- well, when I was doing my masters, um, my dad got quite ill. Um, he got cancer, and he ended up passing away um, just after I, I graduated um, from my masters. And I kind of knew that um, I wasn't going to be able to pursue the research that I wanted to because I, I just wasn't in a position to do that with with the way everything had gone. Um, and I saw a data entry job going in a clinical trials unit mm-hmm. um, and it was on cancer trials. So I kind of thought, well, it's just data entry, but, um, you know, it's a wage. It's yeah. money that's going to be coming in and I'll be doing something cancer related. So it yeah. can feel a bit like I'm doing something worthwhile. Yeah. Um, and then five and a half years later, um, I've ended up being a data manager in exactly the same place. Dif- mm. Different trials, but same same unit. Mm. 
yeah so should we go into how you got into the other roles then um yeah yeah i yeah. suppose yeah so uh I, I mean did you kind of pick them up one at a time or did they both kind of happen at once or what what happened that's a good question what order did they come in um i think the yeah the translate stuff started when we were in the first lockdown i think i um just before the first lockdown i figured out that i was trans and i started like leaning on the community to get support and to figure out what i needed to do next Mm -hmm. um and i wanted to pay that back so i started volunteering with translates Mm -hmm. um i volunteered as the outreach officer for i guess about a year um or maybe a bit longer than that and then when the coordinator before me stepped down he asked me to take over that role yeah um so that's just the day-to-day management of everything making sure that all our projects are happening and making sure that our volunteers are kind of happy and and have everything they need um so yeah that i guess that's how i got into that and then the celebrancy I've I've always been interested in um I guess ritual and ceremony and how we can incorporate that better into our modern lives because it it's something that used to be you know we didn't even used to have words for it because it was just part of everyday life like mm-hmm. back in history um and now we don't really have any ceremony or ritual in our lives at all mm-hmm. um and I, I find it, even if you don't have any religious beliefs, it's still, I think, really valuable. Um, and so I've, I've always kind of been, you know, if people wanted something doing, I'd, I'd give it a go. And um, I'd help people with ideas they've got if they wanted to um, mark an occasion. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I'd help my friends out and my family out and, and stuff like that. Um, and I ended up kind of formalizing that, um, I guess about a year ago, um, I started doing it a bit more professionally rather than just like when things came along, um, just because it's something I enjoy. And if you start doing it professionally, you get to do it for more people. (laughs) Mm. I mean, Um, was it something you were aware of before you started doing it as well? I guess not, because the kind of celebrancy I do is very broad. You get a lot of people who just do weddings Mm. or they do weddings and funerals. Um, Whereas I will do anything like Mm. it it says on my website, like, you know, I I could do weddings. I can do funerals. I'm really interested in coming of age ceremonies. Mm. Um, I'm interested in um, celebrations when people come out as trans because obviously that's relevant to the community I'm part of um and then anything else people want to celebrate as well it might be you know they might be getting a divorce and they want to mark that occasion um or they might be becoming a parent for the first time or the seventh time you know um or a grandparent or um I've had a couple of people approach me recently who have um like kids who are coming up to puberty Mm. and there's particular like um changes in their life that they want to mark as they go through puberty um and like 
Why not? Why shouldn't we? I was going to say celebrate, but that's not always the right words. Why shouldn't we like recognize that these things are happening and like take a moment to just sit and reflect on it? Often that's a celebration, but you know, funerals aren't particularly happy, but they're the important parts of the process of dealing with with a change in your life. It's dedicated time, isn't it? You know, at, at the minimum, it's right. We're going to sit down, and you have to have time where you actually sit and think about this. You know? Yeah, I mean, your mind can drift off. Mine's always drift off, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, because you don't get that kind of space. I suppose it's kind of in line with all the mindfulness sort of stuff as well. Of like, you know, keeping being present. Yeah, mm. yeah, and. I suppose that that is a big part of it is just noticing that something has happened rather than going, you know, maybe you've got um, someone who's just turned 18 and rather than going, okay, you've turned 18, you're going off to uni now or you're going into a new job and that's kind of done. Mm -hmm. Having an afternoon where the whole family sits down and goes, what is important about this particular point in this person's life and what can we do to kind of notice it? and support, maybe support them, maybe support ourselves, you know, whatever the, that particular group needs. Um, it's nice to just have that time to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to go in and sort of share a thing with other people as well to do that from your position. Yeah. I mean, I, I am so honored anytime I get to do, regardless of what it is that I'm doing, um, it's a big responsibility and I'm, I, I always get a lot out of it as well. Um, even working with people that are complete strangers that I'm never going to meet again. Um, it, it's valuable time for me as well to sit down with people and see what is going on in their lives and see what, how I can help improve them or yeah. help them improve it themselves, I guess, because I'm, I'm usually just doing what they want. Um, yeah. You know, I have a lot of input into like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? But ultimately, I'm, I'm doing what they need. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very rewarding. Cool. Uh, so the, with the Transleads role, uh, so you started with outreach. So what was the outreach? I mean, you know, you're obviously not door knocking in a role like that. So what, what if we, how, how did outreach work? Was it just sort of being visible in particular spaces or like how do you get the word out well when i started obviously it was in lockdown so we weren't going to any events we weren't seeing our own kind of service users either um so i focused on um outreaching to other organizations so building up um better links with other members of the lgbt lgbtq community um and other local organizations you know speaking to um the council and the nhs and um addiction charities um domestic violence homelessness charities um anyone i could basically to kind of go translate to here if you have anyone that needs support um around you know if they're trans if they're non-binary um if they're anything under the kind of trans umbrella um, point them our way and if you need any advice we're here to help you as well 
Mm. Um, and yeah, just getting our name out there a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. So, and then moving from that role into a management role, I mean, was that just sort of, you've already got management experience that you're being paid for. Why don't you do this role? Um, I mean, we kind of, we kind of whisked into it or sort of, was there a current dragging you in there or was that something that you wanted to, to do for yourself or, uh, yeah, how did you get into the management position then? Um, that's a really, that's a really good question. How did I end up doing this? <laughs> you looked away for a moment and then, <laughs> yeah, suddenly. <laughs> I think, um, I suppose I do have some, oh, nowadays I definitely do have a lot of management experience. Um, but to be honest, I think the most valuable experience I've got has been through the Translate stuff, not necessarily through my paid work. Mm -hmm. um, but I did I did have experience from work of, um, you know, managing staff and managing projects. Um, so I, I guess that is maybe why I ended up being coordinator, but mostly it's because I don't think anyone else wanted to do it. And, um, <laughs> and I, I was fool enough to go like, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> but when I took over the job, the, the, the previous coordinator does still work with us just in a, in a different role. And he said multiple times, like, this is a really stressful job and you need, you know, everyone is going to come to you with all of the complaints they've got. And it's going to be, um, hard work mm. so don't go into this thinking it's going to be great because it's not it's going to be a nightmare <laughs> and um, yeah. i love it i love it but um it's definitely a challenging role yeah 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 um i mean do you, do you think it's one that you can do for a long time i mean is it are the rewards enough that you can keep going or is it kind of like you do a few years and then you need to sort of do something else I think it, it probably will be that, yeah. you know, you reach a point of burnout and have to yeah. pass the mantle on to someone else for a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm being very pessimistic there. Translate is great. I love Translate. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm doing that work for free, so I must, I must like it. Um, we're just a, we're a community that is um, facing a lot of difficulties from every side it feels like at the moment and we're a community that does need a lot of support um which is why translate exists but it also means we have a, a hell of a lot of work to do um and yeah it and we've got a limited number we're a very small community and the people that volunteer for us obviously you're a much smaller subset of that community. They're the people that have the time and the inclination to work for free to support other people. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of, um, challenges to, to getting everything running smoothly, but it, it is, it's all going very well as much as I'm complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the complaints are, are kind of, you know, they're sort of, Obvious, like, I mean, they, they, they have to be there because I mean, the whole thing's been ridiculously politicized. Um, and you know, that doesn't make anything any easier <laughs> where you're actively just trying to help people. And then, you know, you're being sort of 
targeted as or scapegoated essentially in particular areas um yeah that doesn't yeah. help anything it it leads to a lot of like when i first started working for translates i thought i'd just be helping people with transition stuff mm. like changing the name or accessing healthcare stuff like that but mm. it's so much broader because mm. people aren't just trans they mm. you know a lot of people are trans and therefore they are homeless because they've been kicked out or because they haven't had the same um advantages other people have had who aren't trans um or they're trans and they um i don't know i'm gonna start making this sound like a sob story now but um the intersectionality is a massive part of it we do a, a lot of work with people who are in precarious housing or have been made homeless or people who have um other health conditions but because if if you're trans it's hard enough to get healthcare if you have other stuff going on as well mm. it's nigh on impossible you know and a lot of people that um are unemployed or on um in really precarious work because it's hard to get hired if you're openly trans um on top of all the other stuff you might be you know unemployed and openly trans and then you can't get housing to work for you so then you're also homeless or staying in shelters or sofa surfing and like it's just a, a snowball that you start thinking like oh i'll just you know i'll just get people some you know an appointment with the gp to talk about stuff but no it's yeah it's a lot <laughs> yeah uh i mean do you know like how are you on stats and stuff are you sort of immersed in stats from from the work or um, I should be. I'm yeah. not, but I should be. <laughs> I mean, uh, like I, I'm thinking as well. I mean, if people are in work already, and you know, because it's people have some people will have specific ideas of what a trans person is, or when a person transitions, or how it happens, or whatever. Um, but I mean, you know, people transition at any point in their lives, don't they? Um, so people could be in work, they could be in families, they could be, you know, like, um, and change later in life. And that, that can have all sorts of kind of knock on effects. So I'm kind of thinking here in terms of if you knew how many people who were in work and then came out as trans, like what the, what the rate of retention there was, you know, like how many people sort of lost their jobs and stuff. I wish I knew that because mm. that would be really interesting. Mm. Um, we do have a lot of, um, we call people service users, which I'm kind of going off as a term. Mm. Um, maybe members would be a better, a better word. Um, but we, we have a lot of people that, um, come to our social groups, come to our support groups, mm. um, who are kind of figuring out that they're trans in their 40s and 50s and are like navigating coming out of work and working as an older person mm. um and it, it's definitely tricky um but I, I don't know now i kind of want to go away and ask some people like do you think that you're you know, did you lose your job? Do you think because you came out as trans, or mm. 
do you think you would have got that promotion if you'd kept it quiet? Like, it would be an interesting question to ask, definitely. Do you know the Do you know the employment stats for sort of out trans people? Is it uh, not off the top of my head? No. Yeah. yeah. No. Did they have that kind? Of, I mean, is that information even kind of collected? Um, there will be stats out there, but I think a lot of it comes from the US rather yeah. than the UK. Mm. Um, and obviously the situation over there is different. Mm. Um, so it can be difficult sometimes to go well, you know. In America, 80% of trans people are employed, but does that, is that the same in the UK? I, I don't know. That's a number I've just plucked out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll go back to kind of lockdown. Um, I, I like to kind of start with basically your journey into lockdown and take you back to sort of your memories of what you were doing at the time and and what happened and how your work kind of changed. So. Uh, when we went into lockdown, the first lockdown, did you, um, was it just go work from home? Were you furloughed straight away? Like, um, if you were working from home, did that mean that your workload increased massively or, uh, what sort of effects did it have on your work? And are there any of those effects still sort of ongoing? The first lockdown was really weird. Mm. Um, I, I wasn't furloughed. But I was managing um, just one person at work who was eventually furloughed. Mm. But it took, because we work for a university, it took a long time for those wheels to kind of turn and get decisions made as to what we were doing. Mm. Um, We were all sent to work from home, obviously, um, because of lockdown. (laughs) Um, Nobody had ever worked from home before. Some of the senior management was sometimes allowed to do a day or two here and there from home, but the vast majority of us had never worked from home before. And we were working in clinical trials and all of the trials I was working on at that time were cancer trials. Um, So they were all running out of NHS hospitals, which were not, you know, capable of running, um, do, doing all the stuff we needed them to do because mm. c- COVID was happening. Um, so we all just kind of twiddled our thumbs for a few weeks, to be honest. Like there was a lot of like, we were told to use the time for training and to use the time to like prepare for things that we might need to do in future while we've got a bit of spare time. But Prepare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prepare for what? <laughs> what what's happening? <laughs> just just prepare. <laughs> I mean, you well, but that was the thing as well because there was no, you know, because of all the uncertainty, it was kind of like, well, what well, what can I do? What is there any point doing anything? Like, when does it need to get done? And like, yeah, yeah, because we had no idea when our trials would be starting up again, yeah. if they'd be started up again. Yeah, what state? Um you know, the, the NHS would be in, in a couple of months time. Um, it, it was like really quiet chaos. Mm. Like everything was unraveling, but nothing was happening. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, not, not a great time, <laughs> mm. but I got a lot of time just sitting in my back garden. So that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're largely working with data by the sounds of it in that role. So was it, 
just easy to do everything from home once once the work started happening again. Yeah, my my job was pretty easy to to transition to home working. Our trials unit was massively behind technologically compared to lots of other places. So we were still asking nurses in hospitals to fill things out on paper and post them into us. Mm. And then we would put them into our database. Um, most other, certainly commercial um, trials units um, don't do that. They just have the nurses put it directly onto the database because it's 2020, like yeah. <laughs> we have the technology. Um, so we had to do a lot of changing it so that that was possible. Mm-hmm. So going from, um, you know, we need a team of however many data entry clerks doing all this data entry to we need a load of people working on the database to get it ready to send to, you know, nurses and other hospital yeah. staff or other medical staff. So that was interesting we suddenly had, when that process was complete, we had a lot of, I'm deliberately not saying which university this is because um, I'm probably revealing more than they'd they'd want to here, but it felt to me like there were a lot of data entry staff that we now didn't need. So when people were leaving, everyone was very happy and they weren't being replaced. but to, to the credit of, of the unit, they did also give a lot of people promotions so that um, the staff that wanted to stay could still do useful work, um, even though we didn't have the data to enter anymore. Yeah. But yeah, and, and then we ended up losing too many data entry staff because we'd forgotten that we did still need them to do some things. And then we had to hire more. It was just a bit, a bit of a mess. Um, but yeah, so... I've completely wandered off the point. Um, my job was easy to do from home because I could just log onto the database. But um, for the people that I was managing, it was much trickier. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you normally, when you were doing the, the work in, in the office, is it sort of an open plan office? Is it like, are you a little cubicles? I mean, is it quite... Is it is it like a talky collegiate environment or is everyone just sort of, you know, heads down looking at a terminal and tapping away? It, it, definitely the second one. It's yeah. um it's a big open or it was a big open plan office with like mm. two hundred out of us mm. sitting in silence, typing away, um, not talking on. to each other. Yeah, headphones on, lots of podcasts happening. Um <laughs> yeah, and um we we tried to work collaboratively, mm-hmm. but because each clinical trial is quite different, mm. you end up just kind of working on your trial mm. and speaking to the one other person who kind of understands what's going on. Mm. Um, yeah, so working from home probably got us talking to each other a bit more than we would have otherwise. That's, yeah, that was going to be my next question. I was going to say, did that make you all kind of chat a bit more once you were out of the office? I mean... It's this kind of like, oh, nobody's here now. I want to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> I think like socially, it was a lot harder. Mm. Um, but in terms of work-wise, I, if, I, if I had a question for someone, I had to get in touch with them. I couldn't just wait for them to want to pass my desk mm. and maybe I'd catch them in the coffee room or something. 
Yeah. Um, so it did spark some more conversations that way, or a, a lot of emails, to be honest. A lot of vague, confused emails going, I've sort of got this problem and I don't really know what's going on. Could you, could you could, have you seen this before? Could you give me a hand? <laughs> so what were, uh, were you all on like Teams or an equivalent of uh, like internal chats? Yeah. Yeah. We'd just started. Well, there was, a, I think it was a bit of an internal pilot going mm. on whether we should use Teams. Mm. And then lockdown happens, and then we were all using Teams. Yeah. And discussion over, it's happening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it like we could not work without it now. It's yes. it's a massive part of the the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I'll jump straight into uh, Brexit. Unless you want to add anything particular, um, sort of COVID wise, with regards to the other roles. Um, well, the, the celebrancy didn't come around until um, more recently. Mm. Um, obviously, that wasn't going to happen during lockdown. Um, not, I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about gathering with groups of strangers. Um, and I don't think the government would have been on my side with me <laughs> doing that either. Um, I suppose with the Translate stuff, that was difficult because a lot of our like like our support groups all moved online mm. and people don't feel as comfortable sharing mm. or, in our experience anyway they turned more into social chats than support groups which is fine that's what people needed and that's what people were comfortable doing but um yeah it was definitely different and now that we can do things in person again, it's kind of seeing, you know, this is what it used to be like. Mm. Um, and obviously there is a huge amount of um, isolation mm. for, for everyone during lockdown. Um, yeah. And for may, maybe the trans community in particular, maybe actually every community had its own lockdown related issues, but um yeah, it was it was a tough time all around. What about the sort of the digital exclusion kind of side of that? I mean, you know, did you feel, I, I mean, was it just sort of you discovered all of a sudden, um, oh, we can only reach sort of so much percentage of our normal members? I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, for lots of different reasons. Obviously, there's, you know, some people just didn't have the technology to, um, dial into a Zoom meeting or join in in a Facebook chat or or whatever it was we were doing. Other people, you know, had the technology but couldn't really use it. And then lots of people, myself included, to be honest, just didn't like using digital options. Like, I really like going to our in-person um, support groups and social events and stuff. And I hated going to the online ones i just i'd spend seven hours a day eight hours a day staring at my own face at work yeah. in you know zoom calls and teams yeah. calls and then i'd go home and have to do another couple of hours of staring at my own face mm. and i just hated it and then the vast majority of the stuff we used to do well maybe not the vast majority but a lot of it we just couldn't do mm. um so like 
you know, we couldn't go for picnics. We couldn't go for sports events. We couldn't go, you know, to, you know, people would normally have been going to like in-person appointments and things where they might want a translator advocate to come with them. But when everything turned to phone appointments or was just cancelled, um, it made it much trickier for us to support people in, in kind of the advocacy side of things as well. So definitely a lot of barriers. Yeah. Has that kind of improved now? Is it now we're opening up again? I think so. Yeah. We've got, a, to be honest, I think it's given us a good reminder of how important some of these things are. Um, so now that we're doing things again, um, you know, we're not just doing social events because they're a laugh. Mm. We're doing social events because we remember what it was like when we didn't have them mm. and it was not good. So like, yeah, we will put karaoke evenings on or we'll go swimming or we'll have, you know, we've got a couple of picnics planned over summer and if it feels a lot more valuable and urgent, I guess compared to how it how it has in the past yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like it was just, oh here's, here's just a nice thing we're doing but it's like oh actually it's really valuable to do something nice and you know essentially like team building you know like community building yeah because for some people the only for, for most people this this isn't the case but for some people the only time they get to just relax and be themselves and act the way they actually want to act mm. is when they come to our events. Yeah. So I don't, you know, they had that taken off them mm. for a couple of years and I don't ever want to see them stuck without, without that again. Yeah. Plus I get to go to some picnics and yeah, <laughs> who doesn't want that? <laughs> yeah. Bonus. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, sorry, we're still on the the rubbishy questions at the moment. So the next question is Brexit. Um, so uh, have you noticed any change in your work in any of your roles um, since we have Brexited? There has been an impact on clinical trials, obviously. Um, the biggest kind of pain in the bum was just figuring out how we were going to get drugs into the country, like. Luckily, the, the trials I was working on over Brexit weren't particularly affected. Um, we weren't using drugs that were coming in from Europe. Um, so we were kind of a, a bit insulated against that. But yeah, that, that was definitely a big problem. And figuring out how the legislation was going to work. Um, obviously, you know, trials are really heavily regulated and a lot of the legislation was European so I, I, I might be wrong but I think it's still the case that um, the UK legislation is just post, post Brexit we just copied what Europe had and did a con control F and replaced everything that said Europe with just UK um, for, for a lot of this stuff um, that will probably change in the future, but it's not changed yet <laughs> massively. Um, but I am kind of looking at trials from a data point of view. So probably if you were speaking to someone who was 
involved in like contract negotiations and um actually you know ordering drugs and um shipping them to places they'd, they'd probably be like no actually this brexit was massively terrible <laughs> so i use climate change as kind of a good way of representing the kind of broader everything's falling apart <laughs> um so you know like all the the other kind of life support indicators and so on that aren't reading very well at the moment um so in terms of of climate change is there anything that you can do in your work or anything you are doing in your work or is it just is that not on the radar as something that you can be concerned about work-wise um and if it is something that's actively part of your work what what kind of things are you are you doing in that regard um i suppose from the kind of data management side of things um probably one of the benefits not not that there are many but one of the very very thin silver linings on covid is that we are using a hell of a lot less paper now um but probably more electricity so i don't know if that actually like the trees are happier but mm. the you know the co2 levels are not as good i don't know yeah. um but that that's one thing there's a lot less um paper postage um waste not as much stuff's being shredded as used to be shredded other than that i don't think there's much from from that from that one of my many jobs um with the celebrancy, I would, I'd be quite interested to see if I could do some sort of ritual around conservation or something like that. Um, I had a conversation last night actually with a friend and we've decided we're going to try and get involved in uh, curl you conservation. We, they're these um, birds that are, um all oh, right yeah 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 i think yeah. they're some sort of endangered i think they might be near threatened rather than mm. fully threatened <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember the uh, the scale um but he wants to get involved in preserving their habitat and because my degree was in zoology and i worked with birds um he sort of roped me into that and um it would be nice to bring something ritualistic to that as well. So we're not just going up, to be honest, I don't know exactly what that conservation work will look like yet because it, it was one conversation last night, but I imagine it'll be something like um, going out and doing ringing of, um, you know, young birds to see if they're coming back to the same habitats to breed or um, pulling up trees to make sure that the meadows are, stay meadows for for these birds to breed in um it would be nice to have a ritualistic aspect to that so we're not just sort of on autopilot going and doing these tasks but we're actually taking the moment to appreciate like reminding ourselves why we're doing it and um having the space to think about it mm. um but again this is very much like 
I'll just make this up as I go. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's all the seeds of an idea, isn't it? That's all where it starts, just making it up as you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> make it till you make it. <laughs> um yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. Um, I mean, there's a lot of avenues you can go down, but you, you, you know, you kind of, yeah, celebrating is, it's like you have to, you'd have to kind of focus on the regenerative aspect of nature to celebrate, wouldn't you really? The, the sort of, you know, things are coming back and things can renew and get better and can develop and change and so on rather than you know, everything's dying and it's on fire. <laughs> yeah. I, I try to think about um, the fact that the world is ending in a kind of um, cyclical way. Like things are born, they get old, they die and new mm. things are born. Mm. Um, I've been explaining to my toddler today the circle of life because mm. he started getting interested in death and what is death mm. and teaching him that like, yes, things die but then that feeds other things. Mm. Um, and so like, yeah, we're destroying the planet and it, it's bad, but eventually things will get, get better again, whether it's because we make the change or whether it's because we make ourselves extinct and the planet, you know, doesn't care and just continues planeting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, hopefully this is a, a more hopeful and a brighter question. So... If there was a UBI, um, would you still be doing what you do now? I mean, first of all, would you still work? Second of all, would you still be doing what you do now? Um, and I suppose the third element of that is how do you think it would affect what you do now? I, that's a really good question. I mean, the voluntary work, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. The celebrancy, Yes, but I might charge a lot less or potentially not even charge at all for it. Mm. Um, because that, I don't know, that's something I'm doing because I find it really valuable. Mm. Um, if I didn't have to generate profit, I wouldn't. Mm. Um, and then the data management. I mean, I, I really like it, but would I still do it if I didn't have to pay the mortgage? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd probably work a lot less. I don't think I'd be doing it full. I mean, I'd, I'd be doing the translate stuff full time. Is it, um, is it just sort of process? Is it like, do you, is it, you don't have to cram. It's not like we need to process this much data before X, or is it a constant kind of, you know, this is going to get done when it gets done and you just kind of chip away at it. Is it like, what, what's the rate of work and the rate of flow for you? So most of my job is kind of oversight of other people actually dealing with the day-to-day-to-day. -to -day -to -day. Mm. Um, generally, it's a steady flow. Mm. You know, we get um, data back, you mm. know, every day and it gets processed and cleaned. Yeah. Um, and then when... Um, Miles, certain milestones are coming up. We will have a few weeks of like, okay, we need to double check yeah. X amount of forms or, um, you know, X amount of data items. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of both, but generally it's fairly steady. Yeah. So you could realistically sort of drop it down to like four days, two days, whatever. And it wouldn't really 
you know that that would be feasible in itself it's not something like well you couldn't do this because you just need to like plow through all the time and there's always extra overtime yeah no um I, I work on a few different trials so i could just hand some trials off to someone else and then you know i'd, I'd need to work a lot less mm. um yeah which would be fantastic i wish i could do that mm. um i mean i'm gonna extend this out obviously with your experience i mean thinking with your translates hat on for this i mean in terms of your members and the people that you support would you be i help yes yes immensely yes yeah like uncategorically yes yeah yeah <laughs> how how do we get this to happen like yeah. who do i need to write to like it would be amazing um if if there was a system in place that meant that everyone who needed food could buy food because that's an, another thing we do is we um like take food bank parcels out to people mm. um if we didn't need to do that because they could afford food that would be amazing if everyone who needed a home could get a home that would that would take a massive amount of work off our shoulders mm. if people that are having to access private healthcare because the NHS system is segregated for trans people and is um, absolutely appalling. Mm. If they could afford just a little bit every month to access mm. private healthcare instead, mm. um, I mean, that would increase the whole community's quality of life. Like, I, I can't even describe how much, a huge, huge amount. Mm. And and it's not special treatment because it's universal. So it's like it's not like oh we're getting a special handout. It's it's like everybody's getting a basic. If like you know this is this is what you get at a basic, and then from there up to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it would just be for for so for everyone. How mm. could anyone be against this idea? It would be good for all of us. Mm. Mm. Yep. As someone with, you know, you've got these, these three roles and the three hats for them, right? Is that a bit much? Is it, does it give you the variety that you need? Does it also, do you think it gives you, you know, working in those different roles, do you think it gives you different insight skills that kind of complement each other that you can kind of bring into the other roles? Like what, what do you think about having three roles? The answer to is it a bit much is yes, yes, it's a, it's a bit much. Um, might be a bit of an understatement, to be honest. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I don't really ever switch off. I had, I had some surgery back in October. And the first thing I did when I came around from the anaesthetic, while my husband was like trying to get me to take a sip of water and asking me how I was, was I picked up my phone. I saw I had a message about work and I responded to that message because I was like, well, if I don't do it now, I'm just going to have to do it later and I'll have a hundred other things to do then. So I was still pretty loopy from the, uh, from the anesthetic. So I'm glad I didn't say anything too weird, but, um, yeah, it is, it is a lot. It's, um, 24 seven. Mm. Um, and I've forgotten the other half of the question. Yeah. So just how the roles sort of interact with each other, did they give you any insight into the other roles from doing the other roles? 
Um, yes, definitely. I think I was expecting that my big job, my data manager job, would be giving me all of the experience that I needed for the other two. Mm. But it's actually very much the other way around. I think the the translate stuff um, in particular has given me a load of skills that mm. I wouldn't have had otherwise mm. that I can then bring into the other roles. Like obviously doing doing support for people um, has kind of forced me to get better at um, listening and holding space for people and kind of working on, I don't know how to describe it. I, I guess like em- empathetic listening without um, getting embroiled in other people's stuff. Mm. Um, which obviously for the celebrancy is really useful to be able to sit and listen and hold space for people without going home and being upset about whatever they were upset about. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, again, I, I thought that I did a lot of project management in my day job, but actually the project management for Translead is full on hardcore project management. Mm. <laughs> and, um, those skills have been really useful in in my day job yeah as well yeah i mean i don't know how much you want to indulge this but if you if you think of like kind of the the data side would be kind of thought of as being very rational um and then obviously the the kind of support side very kind of um emotive and um because you're supportive it's more nurturing more caring activity more emotional intelligence so it's like you know, you've got these two gendered emotional roles. I just think that's kind of interesting. And then you're mashing them together. Um. <laughs> that's a really good point, actually. I've not, I've not really thought about that, but it's weird how, it, I don't know whether this is too personal, but it's weird how before I transitioned, so obviously I'm a guy, but I was not raised as a guy. Before I transitioned, I was leaning heavily into the more masculine kind of data analytics Mm. side of things. And then when I realized I was a guy, suddenly I was open to all of the more traditionally considered feminine stuff. Like, yeah, I will go and sit with people and hold their hands while they cry and talk about emotions and stuff like that. Yeah, that had not occurred to me before but that's really interesting <laughs> <laughs> that, that, those are the kind of reactions that i want to get <laughs> I, I think it's like i think it's been a really good interview when you get to to a point where someone's like i didn't think of that <laughs> um yeah so yeah yeah i was just me sort of in, indulging my own random thoughts there um so yes yeah, social media let's get back to social media so this is mainly about kind of the return on investment of the energy of social media. Um, it's kind of, it, you know, no matter what kind of role you're doing, it, it, it's kind of creeping into your work and taking up more and more of people's time. Um, whether that's, you know, a, a kind of social media strategy that says how you behave online and how you're presenting and um, your information when you're representing such and such a company or employed by such and such a company. So for yourself and in the roles that you're doing, um, how much time do you have to spend on social media? And do you think that time is usefully spent 
on social media? Like, does it give the, the investment back in terms of the time that you put into it? I think I've actually got the whole spectrum across the three different jobs. Mm -hmm. I've got all the different extremes. Um, in with the data management for the clinical trials, the way the trials are set up is there's usually a, well, there's always a chief investigator who will be a academic or a, um, you know, an oncologist or whatever, some sort of doctor or, or academic. And they are usually quite big on having social media set up for the trials themselves um, because they want to get their own research out there and make themselves look more important, which is, you know, I also would like to look important. I'm not um, disparaging that. But, you know, myself and my colleagues are tasked with dealing with the social media and it's completely pointless from our point of view. Like, yeah. it's all we're doing is retweeting things other people have said mm. about the research. Um, and it feels like a massive waste of time. Mm. But we could use that social media to reach out to our participants to give them updates on how the trial's going and mm -hmm. to feedback to them, you know, this is what we're actually doing with the information you've given us and this is mm -hmm. what we're finding out. Mm -hmm. And that would be really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly in the trials I work on, that hasn't been the case. And it, it's something I've been pushing quite heavily for actually at work mm -hmm. is to feedback to our participants a hell of a lot better than we do because a lot of the time people will, you know, they'll, they'll get this horrible diagnosis and then they'll be offered to join this clinical trial to test out this drug and they will come to additional appointments and they will literally give us their blood and, mm. you know, biopsies and things. Mm. Um, and then they finish the trial and they go back to their lives and they mm. never find out Anything. what happened. Yeah. 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 So I, as always, these things take an incredibly long time. But since before the pandemic, I've been pushing for us to change that and to um, actually tell people what we've done, what we found out and mm. thank them properly. And I think social media will be a really good way to do that. Mm. But we're just not not utilising it at the moment. Mm. So I guess for, from with that particular hat on, social media... I spend a little bit of time on it and it feels like time wasted. Mm. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum for translates, social media is a massive, massive thing. Um, we have a, our chairperson is also our social media officer. Mm. Um, and he spent, he puts a huge amount of effort into making sure that people can find us when they need to be able to find us. And we're being public about what we're doing without being too public and getting the wrong kind of um attention attention yeah yeah and we we have i'm going to be vague about what they are but we have private online groups where mm. people can join um even if they don't want to come to in-person things mm. and i, I spend a, a lot of time in those groups just like seeing what people are doing seeing what people are, would be interested in us doing and just having a bit of a vibe check of the community mm -hmm. like that's probably a couple of hours every day that i spend just like seeing what people are saying and contributing where i can um we've had a bit of a the past couple of weeks i, I don't know what's going on but 
everyone seems to be quite down and there's a lot of people feeling quite um, depressed, I guess. Mm. And so I'm trying to pop up on social media, you know, every day with a good news story or a kind of something distracting and uplifting. Um, so yeah, I, I think that is really valuable, mm. both for the people that, you know, we're working with and for the people that don't know that they need us yet mm. to find out that we are out there and we are doing stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. And then with the, the third hat on with the celebrancy, I should be using social media a lot more, but I'm lazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say you're lazy <laughs> from what you've said. I'm limited, limited on time. Yeah, limited capacity. Uh, yeah. So I, I generally rely on word of mouth for people mm. to find out about what I'm doing. But I have had people who've seen my Facebook page or seen, um, I was going to say seen the Twitter. I don't think I've actually tweeted anything, but um, have heard about me on social media and have mm. come to me. Um Although a lot of the time that's from me saying something in a Facebook group and someone going, oh, I didn't know that was something people did. Can I message you about that? Mm. Rather than me actually just like posting on my own page. Mm. But yeah, if if I wanted to do that job full time, I'd have to dedicate a lot of time to social media. But mm. when it's just a couple of weekends here and there, um, I'm happy to not have to do that extra work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could change any three things about your work, so any three things, and this is for all three roles, um, what would they be? Ooh, um, I, if I could change anything, I think in my day job, in the data management, I'd want a much lower workload and higher wage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, that's not just me wanting more money, but, uh, we are properly underpaid where I work at the moment. Um, like significantly compared to other places. Um, and since COVID, our workloads have just gone up and up and up. Mm. Um, and it, it's absolutely unmanageable at the moment. So those two things I think will be very good changes. Mm. Um, and then a third change, I guess it, now we're all working from home, as much as I don't want to go back into the office, I don't really have any social interaction with the people I work with anymore. We literally just get in touch with each other for work. Mm. Um, so it would be nice to have time where you're just being people rather than being colleagues. Mm. Um, that wasn't a really kind of orchestrated, like online Zoom coffee morning, which we do do and they're awful and they don't work. So yeah, I think those are the, the things that changed there. What about with the other roles? With the celebrancy, I don't think there's much I would change, to be honest, um, other than maybe... Not not to benefit me, but just generally, I'd want more people to be interested in that kind of work and interested in, you know, observing the rituals of life um, a bit more formally. 
um, just because I think it's good and healthy, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> with trans leads, if I could wave a magic wand, I would get us some permanent funding that would allow us to employ staff rather than relying on um, the goodwill of the community. And I'd get us a permanent resident or permanent um, offices because at the moment Mm -hmm. everything lives in my spare room. Mm -hmm. And when we have, there are places that do allow us to use rooms for free, Mm -hmm. but um, it would be nice to have an office where all of our stuff is and that we can access 24 seven. Mm. Um, and to be honest, it would be nice if we had shared premises with other LGBT charities in Leeds. Um, it's something that gets talked about a lot in the community and has never happened, but that would be really nice so that we can keep those links and like work collaboratively. So we're not all just doing our own things and all stressing ourselves out when we could be working together and sharing the the workload um i think that's kind of it mm. in terms of things that change um i just want to make it a bit easier for us to do our work oh i'd, I'd have a full-time counselor employed as well because um access to good mental health care is impossible for anyone and the trans community in particular needs, you know, we have a lot of trauma because we get put through a lot of bad experiences, much like most other minorities, I'd imagine. Um, so if we could provide access to proper, good quality mental health care, um, that would probably solve a lot of other problems as well. Mm. Um, so if if anyone's listening and they have millions of pounds to give away like <laughs> give me a phone call <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i will I, I will just say a quick thing on um you know it, it i suppose the work like work life balance and well-being and all of that kind of stuff again i mean you say you say in yourself that you you know you kind of doing loads and loads of hours and and find it difficult to switch off i mean i suppose with with the activities that you do with Transleads and the, the social activities and then with the celebrancy as well. I mean, you there's an element where that is, I'm guessing that doesn't feel so much like work. So it does potentially give you that kind of downtime, that that time, chance to kind of decompress. I mean, do, do you work too much, do you think? Or um, do you think you've got the, the balance about right for yourself? I definitely work too much. Mm. Um, definitely. And I, I have to be really strict with myself mm. because, um, you know, I, I also have a husband and a three-year-old mm. and I'm not in the house very often or I'm not in the house at the same time as them very often. Mm. So I have to be strict with myself to be like, just because something needs doing, mm. you know, doesn't mean that I have to do it and doesn't mean that... Um, you know, sometimes things just won't get done because I don't want to burn myself out. No, um, yeah. And then everything falls apart rather than just, you know, one thing doesn't happen versus yeah. nothing happens for a couple of months because I've, I've burned myself out. Yeah. But yeah, I don't really have a work-life balance. I just, just have work and occasionally 
I sit down and watch an episode <laughs> or something on telly. <laughs> yeah, just straight open to you, sort of, is there any not covered that you want to talk about that, um, yeah, that you want to mention or that we want to have a look at? So, Anyone asks me to talk, you know, even at a bus stop, you know, I'll start telling them about Translate and how great we are and the things we do for everyone. So if anyone is interested in Translate, check out our website. Mm-hmm. We do um, support and social stuff and advocacy and swimming and um, we do training um, for other organisations as well. That's our main source of income. Mm-hmm. So if anyone wants any trans awareness training or tailored training, mm-hmm. um, get in touch with us. Uh, contact at translates.org um yeah but that that's just my little bit of kind of promoing us mm. and i suppose that you know that's not just um i suppose you support people who aren't you support the families of trans people as well you know like the people that are going through transitions and the families coping with that transition in whatever ways they do i would imagine and can you support workplaces as well in a similar fashion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I usually recommend workplaces get in touch with us for training mm-hmm. um, unless there is a specific individual who's coming out. Mm-hmm. Usually the way that works is that individual will come to us and say, my workplace are being a little bit dodgy. Mm-hmm. Can you do some advocacy for me? Mm-hmm. And then we'd go in as like a neutral third party and say like, here's how things could work better. Mm. Um, not in a combative way, just in a kind of, we're here to help everyone out kind of way. Mm. But if there are workplaces that want to be proactive and want to get us in to help them with that before there's a problem, then like, yeah, please, that's what we want. We want to be solving problems before people are affected. So yeah, yeah basically, if anyone wants to know anything about anything trans-related, just email us Mm. because you know we'll be able to either help ourselves or let you know who else is out there to help thank you again to tom for being my guest thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you Leeds, for being my subject and of course most of all thanks to you my dear listener come back next week to hear me speak to a loiner author i'm going to close out this week with some studs turkle work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread, for recognition as well as cash, for astonishment rather than torpor. In short, for a sort of life rather than a Monday through Friday sort of dying. Okay, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me now, right now. Quick, get a pen. WorkingHoursPod at western-studios.com. If you fancy being my guest, put guest in the subject line of your email and add a short bio in the message. Stick in some suggestions of your availability and I'll send you a release form and a Zoom invite. If you'd like to be on working hours, I will need a two-hour window for us to record in. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews for working hours for every year on Zoom, but I can also record offline. You can appear on working hours anonymously or you can promote yourself and or your company or brand cleaner or owner what is your experience how do you feel about work what do you like and not like 
What do you do, Leeds? Be a part of local history, have your voice heard, share your wisdom, give us the inside skinny. This is your show, Leeds, and it's all about what you make of yourself. Do you know what you're doing? If you do, then come and tell me all about it. Come on working hours, even if you don't know what you're doing. I certainly don't. Email me right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com. If you're allowed to do that, that is. If you're not allowed to do that, then tell me why. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear all about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Send your feedback, questions, comments, and queries right now to workinghourspod at western-studios.com. What is happening, Leeds? Find out by following this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads to find out when new episodes are going to be released. Or just use the hashtag hash Working Hours Pod Leads on either of those sites to find me. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Western underscore studios underscore leads. I'm also on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Simon hyphen Treen. Treen is T R E N. Or you can go to my company page, which is linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion, or your own passion project, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, for support, advice, and guidance on anything podcasts. At Western Studios, you work with a real life lawyer who is actually in Leeds, who you can actually work with on making podcast content. So don't wade through articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts. Just get on with it. Western Studios can make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios can take on your podcast's boring, time-consuming and painful admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about it. I feel your pain. For a charge, I'll share it. Writers, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content and made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them. Help me make Muck for Brass, a series of short stories, poems, performers, whatever, all published as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. I want to make it a podcast. I get practice making the show and you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Businesses, campaigns, brands, got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start. Hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. So what do you have to lose? And what are you waiting for? Save yourself the hassle and the headache and make your podcast with a Leeds-based, in real life, podcast producer, that's me, Western Studios Leads. Once again, please let Working Hours get big and strong by joining its Patreon. Support Working Hours by becoming a champion on Patreon for a pound a month. You can inspire me and motivate me with a membership and maybe one day even be helping to cover all my costs. You can chat to me there and see me do a monthly live stream where again you can chat to me all about the show and God, do I need to find someone to actively share this project with. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up, please. And or go to Kofi, that's K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month and get access to the working hours discord. 
and chat to me there. I will be putting up additional material on Kofi once there are any members there. Please do remember to like, share, follow, and subscribe to this show. Every little bit helps. Tell your grand, tell your housekeeper, tell your gardener, tell your parole officer, tell your boss, tell Leeds, and I'll see thee next time, our kid. Working Hours is presented, edited, and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.